This is a production of NTEU Chapter 49, representing most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. My name is Larry Lannon. I'm a retiree, but I volunteer work for Chapter 49 in the realm of communications. This podcast comes under that realm. So we'd like to welcome you all to the Chapter 49 podcast. We've tried to make it weekly, but during the holidays, that's probably not going to be the case. But we will uh, be with you this week and probably next week. And after that, uh, perhaps an interregnum for uh, some some holiday time for, for us all. I'm not just for Duncan Giles and myself, but for all of you listening. And speaking of Duncan Giles, he is with us once again. So Greetings to you, sir. Holiday greetings and greetings otherwise. Good afternoon, Larry. Good to be here. And uh, yeah, it's afternoon when we record this, and that's going to come into play when we talk about our first issue. We're starting the recording at a little bit after 2.30 in the afternoon on Thursday, December 10th. So here's the situation with the funding of the federal government as of the time we record this. The House has just the day before passed a continuing resolution, but just for one week to allow the budget to be worked out, but even more importantly, being tied to the budget uh, for the current fiscal year is a possible COVID relief package, which has been uh, the center of controversy and a lot of discussion. As we speak today, the Senate needs to act by Friday just to get the one-week extension. I just checked the Senate uh, before we started this, and they were giving uh, speeches about uh, retiring senators and such, so it didn't look like there was any um, business of any, any great importance going on. So the Senate's not in a hurry, but they do have a deadline for tomorrow. We know Congress likes to have deadlines uh, before they're uh, going to do anything. So, Duncan, a few words. That's what we know about the continuing resolution. Uh, we've been assured that there'll be no shutdown this week. We've been assured that before. What are the chances we can at least get through this week and maybe through the holidays? I think it's very interesting. I don't think the problem will be the Senate. I do believe that the Senate will decide before midnight tomorrow to go ahead and pass the continuing resolution. Uh, the last word we heard from um, the Senator McConnell was um, that once the House sends it over, we'll vote on it. Okay, the House is overwhelmingly bipartisanly sent it over. Let's vote on it. Then it becomes, will the president sign it? We just don't know for sure at this point. We are very hopeful that'll be business as normal as usual, and he will sign it. But at this point, there are no guarantees. So we've got our fingers crossed that everything will be a normal situation and we'll be able to work for one more week. Uh, yeah, you and I both remember that shutdown that happened right around the holidays, and, and uh, that was painful. I mean, we've had short ones, even a week or two, but we had, was a month. It was over a month, I believe, a few years ago. So, And that did create some pretty serious hardships financially. So we certainly hope nothing like that happens. After all, there is uh, a change of administrations coming uh, in January, so that would, ter- yeah, that would be a complication nobody would want to have to deal with. So the continuing resolutions on the way to being approved. And uh, let me ask you this. I, I've had a lot 
of people uh, writing about this. I've been checking the Internet, various uh, places where federal employee experts write and uh, discuss the news of the day dealing with the federal workforce. Uh, And we've talked about this before, but uh, right now, having the COVID relief package tied to the budget discussions, at first I thought that was a bad idea. Now I'm beginning to think the pressure, I think, I think these members of Congress, Senate and House, are starting to hear from their constituents, not just uh, federal employees. I'm talking about the business owners. I'm talking about the people who have lost their jobs and need unemployment benefits to survive. Uh, it seems to me that uh, the movement toward some sort of COVID relief package picked up steam once uh, members of Congress and the Senate went back home and heard from their constituents. What's uh, what's your view on that? My view right now is it's sort of like somebody that's had about a dozen drinks in a two-hour period and decided to get behind the wheel and is swerving all over the place. Because you're hearing at one point, yeah, exactly what you're saying. We need to get something done. And then you're hearing well, the bipartisan group in the Senate is working on it. Well, Senator McConnell says that's not going to work for us. Then you have the White House and certain senators from both the left and the right saying, well, why isn't there a uh, part of this package having funds for individuals and families in there? We need to have that, which has not been in any of the packages discussed so far. So it is all over the place, and my fear is is because there are so many different competing ideas on what the relief should look like, including the protection for the state and local governments as well as the liability protections for businesses, that I don't know what they're going to be able to come out to get, and I don't want any, um, they're talking about an omnibus bill where they throw in all the appropriations bills together, Um, to do an omnibus bill. I don't want an omnibus bill sunk because they can't get their act together on a a coronavirus uh, relief bill. You know, a lot of people have asked me, you know, when you use that term omnibus bill, what does that mean? And, And here's what I understand that it means, and you're welcome to weigh in on this too. You know, the, the, the Congress has a very specific set of procedures on how budgets are supposed to be put together. There are committees in the House and the Senate that go through a whole process. Their staffs, majority and minority, go through a whole process. And then they fashion this budget proposal. The problem is, at least in recent years, and many years in between, if you go back a long way, many 30 or 40 years now, I think the dysfunction has been getting worse as we as time goes on, is that there's just no agreement. Even if when you go through all these procedures and processes that have been around for a long time, in the end, uh, people drag their feet because they can't agree. So when that happens... All of a sudden, you have to get some kind of budget put together, so you just throw something together at the last minute, and you call it an omnibus bill. And uh, I think it's a very bad way to run the railroad, but I think it's been run that way way too many years uh, because it doesn't give the proper consideration to any agency budget, including IRS, in many years. What What's your view on that? I My view is very similar on that. It used to be... That yes, you would have, uh, you know, folks from 
either side of the political spectrum having their say, but they would sit down and hash out a number. They would figure out the numbers. They would pass the appropriations bills. For I don't know the, how many the last several years, um, they have just not been able to compromise at all and do that. So they've had to do these omnibus bills where basically they're saying, okay, they're taking the totals of what they think they agree on in the appropriations bills, throwing it in these omnibus bills and saying, okay, we'll do it this way. And then it's sort of like dividing up a check among the group. Okay, now you're going to get this much, you're going to get this much. And sometimes it's what you need and sometimes it's not. And as you said, it's just a heck of a way to run a railroad or a country. Yeah, it made me remind me of something when you mentioned that about splitting up the check. I must tell you, there's one group of people that if you have a large dinner and need to split the check up, uh, the one group you don't want to be around is a group of revenue agents. <laughs> <laughs> they are quite meticulous about that bill. I love revenue agents. I'm just making have a little fun here. But uh, I've actually been out to dinner with them several occasions, and it's, uh, it's really something. You don't want to split the bill up. It's no easy way to do that, but they, they, they're pretty precise about it. And who, who can blame them? That's, that's the work that they do. So one last comment about uh, the, the continuing resolution and the budgets that are being considered in Congress, omnibus or otherwise. Uh, we'll talk about it next week. We hope to get a podcast up next week, early in the week. Uh, otherwise, we do try to keep our uh, our Facebook page updated. It's NTEU Chapter 49, Indiana. You just go to Facebook and that little box where you search, go just type in NTEU Chapter 49, Indiana, and uh, just uh, like or follow us, and you'll get all of our updates. And also, uh, the National Office of NTU does a very nice job of sending out email alerts as well. So there are many places you can go to get the, the timely information on that if you're wanting to know where things are going. And, and NTU does a very nice job at the national level of watching that. Yeah, the other thing I do want to mention that i uh, forgotten about is the uh, Defense Act that was passed by the House that will probably be passed by the Senate. Um, we don't know if that'll be the president has threatened to veto it. That has the additional 60 hours that you're able to roll over at the end of the year leave hours if you have the extra annual leave. I myself am not counting on that. I'm going to stick to my 240 that I'm able to roll over. But that's also in play in uh, Congress as well. And the president is threatening to veto that not because of what's in the defense budget and not because of the 60 hours you mentioned, but because it fails to include regulation of social media companies like Google and Facebook, which is an entirely different issue. So, uh, and, and at this point, I think the congressional leaders, both the, in the House and Senate, they, they, even though they're of different parties, they want this defense bill passed. And they're working hard to get a veto-proof majority to approve it. So that's still in limbo. Well, that's another one to watch. And those 60 carryover hours, which we'd a lot of people would love to have, is, is a part of that legislation. Let's move on and talk about something else. You know, sometimes when you're involved in federal labor relations, you think that you know the basics. And there's some things you just do all the time, and it's part of the the regular grind and, and, and the regular set of rules you go by. And it really doesn't matter whether you're a revenue officer, revenue agent, tax compliance, call center, uh, telephone person, taxpayer assistance center, and there are a lot of other jobs here and there. 
your manager is supposed to give you feedback and you're you, you and you have that feedback and, and but the problem is for example if it's 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 an observation or it's a case review whatever it might be there's a 15 day rule there's been at least a one area of IRS management dealing with Indiana employees where there was some um, disagreements about that 15-day period. So, Duncan, what I'm going to ask you to do is explain what the rules are when your managers are giving out um, recordation or any kind uh, of feedback that's part of your personnel file, which will be part of your evaluation. There's a 15-day rule involved there. Explain what it is and what some of the confusion has been of late. Yeah, this is part of the national agreement and has been for quite a while. Managers have 15 work days from the time that they have known or should have known um, about the about what they're reviewing to get it to employees. So the example that I like to use and came up with against labor relations who switched their mind once they heard my example because... There are some folks out there who said, well, you know, you can't have employees or union dictate the work. The 15 workdays start when the manager starts on the review. No, that's absolutely incorrect. Because if a manager gets information, it doesn't matter whether it's a case review, a phone call, whatever it is, on May 15th, decides to look at it on July 1st and gets the review out to the employee on July the 8th, some in management and labor relations were saying that's timely. And that is absolutely positively not the case. If you're getting a, uh, a case, a phone call, whatever it is, once you get that, you have 15 work days to get that review to the employee for it to be evaluative. You can do it later and it be non-evaluative, that's fine. But if you want it to be evaluative recordation, it has to be 15 work days. And like I said, we had some difference of opinion uh, from labor relations on this mainly and then uh, with some management. And, you know, it, it's sort of like the old quote where uh, a baseball pitcher said, you know, oh, you think a curveball is an illusion? Well, you stand behind a tree 60 feet and six inches from me and I'll whump you to death with an optical illusion. And you think that that, if you think that we're incorrect in our um, interpretation of the 15 workday, uh, you know, I'll be happy to take you to arbitration and lump you to death in arbitration on this because it's, it's very clear-cut and the language is extremely clear, as is the case law on this. So it's something that I just want to make sure employees and managers and labor relations, everybody should know this, it's 15 workdays from when they know or should have known about what material they are going to use to review. Don't you think, excuse me, I'm sorry, don't you think that should have known is a key phrase there? Oh, absolutely. That's that's one of the things because um, having been in uh, several negotiations, in particular for national agreements, every word is very carefully chosen to be in there. There aren't any... Trust me, everything is wordsmith to the nth degree in that agreement and basically any agreement that we do between IRS and NTEU. And should have known is in there for a very key reason, 
And that, again, is for managers to say, okay, this is when your clock starts ticking. Well, you know, I didn't know about it. Well, you should have known. You had the case. You had the phone call forwarded to you. Whatever it may be, you had that. You should have known. Yeah, it's interesting. I used to be a, I was a manager the last six years of my IRS career, and I think it would be have been really nice if I could just ignore that item that I was supposed to evaluate and just start the 15 days when I decided to access it. Not true. I've, I should know. I obviously knew it was there. That's why I'm not looking at it. I'm trying to put it off. You know, I think 15 business days is plenty of time to get that in. But uh, some yeah. managers, based on the, some of the information you were giving me, were just kind of managing their own time by just picking up the case, for example, whenever it it suited them, to, that would start the 15 days. And I think what you're saying and the wordsmithing of the contract and all of the uh, case law that you have access to in terms of arbitrations and other uh, official uh, precedents on this were very clear that the 15 days starts when you, the manager, should have known it was there, even if you say you didn't know. Yeah, it, it was. I was very surprised when I heard some of the interpretation, and I was like, "Oh, you may want to really rethink that," because, I, you know, I try and solve. My thing is, I want to solve issues. I want to solve it at the lowest level possible. I'm not interested unless a manager is being uh, vicious and out to get somebody. I'm not looking to try and make somebody bad, but I'll make people look incredibly bad in an arbitration over a situation like this. I'd make everybody involved look very, very bad, and it would be on the record, and that serves nobody's interest. And if so may, I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. Just, <laughs> Little uh, delays we have to deal with here on our electronic uh, con connection. Sorry, Duncan. So I guess what the bottom line here is if your manager doesn't meet that 15-day period, that recordation is not valid, correct? That's not for evaluative purposes. Correct, yep, for evaluative purposes. You can't use it to me. you you cannot use it to put the evaluation together, correct? Or be any part of the evaluation. Correct. Or be yeah, become a part. So it's it's got to be totally sorry. It can be non-evaluative, but it has nothing to do with how you're evaluated for your annual review. Okay, exactly. let's Let's uh, a real quick reminder for people as to how long they have to make their decision if they want to switch their health insurance plan under FEHB. Yeah, somebody last week, I don't know who it could have been, said that the deadline was the uh, 7th of December when he should have said it is the 14th of December. So we have until uh, this coming Monday uh, at close of business to make any changes to your insurance. And again, I want to just make sure people view it because this could be the only time that you're making any money, additional money this year is by reviewing your health insurance. And it could be as simple as even if you're just yourself and your spouse, your kids are grown. A lot of these insurances out there are cheaper for family than they are self plus one. So you just want to make sure that you check, uh, you know, check the best coverage for you, that your doctor covers your prescriptions, uh, hospitals, if that's uh, a concern to you, that covers so that's in that network, and then make sure which coverage is the best for you. 
Well, the old retired guy didn't pick that up either. So we, we both have been corrected on that deadline. December 14th, <laughs> got it wrong last week, but we got it corrected this time. There is some good news, and it has to do with the administrative time for caregivers. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, that one we had been hearing some rumors on, and we're very happy that um, employees who have caregiving obligations will be granted admin time for that through March 31st of next year. And they're going to, uh, IRS is going to be posting information on that by the middle of this month. And that's something that's going to be carried over um, from what we've had previously, the 20 hours uh, that you can use per week, depending upon what your situation is for children at home, for, you know, if you have to give uh, folks that are taking care of elderly parents or elderly relatives, things of that nature, some leave time if they're teleworking to be able to, uh, to do this. The IRS and NTEU, I think, still weekly talk to each other <clears throat> about COVID and some other issues related to that. And uh, you uh, passed along the minutes of a meeting that happened recently. And I was t almost taken aback when I saw the information that the NTU and IRS were, were discussing about how IRS employees should respond to contact tracers. Talk about that. Yeah, that was a really interesting in interpretation and National NTU, God bless that they always do, once chapters forwarded that information up to them, asked IRS about it and said, um, you know, you, so you're seriously telling employees that if they are contacted by a contact tracer for that's working for a state or a county, uh, specifically health departments, to try and track down potential uh, COVID exposures to not talk to them and refer them to our folks in PGLD for, um, for disclosure issues. And, um, they, IRS has said, well, that's not intended for, uh, contacts that came from non-work activities. And of course, NTU being the logical folks that we are said, well, shouldn't that also be for work activities? And we understand they're HIPAA, you know, is a big thing, and we don't want to, you know, name any individual's names, but you can absolutely share that information um, and still keep the privacy concerns. And the, uh, the IRS is, quote, reviewing their guidance, unquote. Well, I mean, it's, <laughs> having gone through COVID, and thank God I survived it, but, I mean, I, I am still to this day unsure how and where I I contracted that virus, so you may not even know the answer to that question. How would you know if it's in a work or a personal setting? Once again, are you trying to throw logic into this? <laughs> well, um, I, I just thought to myself, well, how could you even make that demarcation? In some cases, maybe it'll be clear. I would guess in most situations it would not be. So that's what really took me aback there. I'm not sure how you... No, so, and, exactly so, right. so in the meantime, how would you recommend employees deal with contact tracers who uh, get in touch with them? Uh, you can talk to them about um, 
where it's been, where you've had contact outside of the IRS. If it's in the IRS, um, you know, there are instructions on there that that you're supposed to contact PGLD. We do not want to get anybody in trouble for insubordination. So we are asking that you go ahead and email them about that. If you have concerns, by all means, uh, let your favorite steward know or let me know. So we can try and work backwards from this to make sure that everybody's protected, um, you know, HIPAA-wise, but also we try and do the best that we can to keep down any potential exposure for everybody. Now, I have been reading, just in fact, I read something today that uh, the lists are being put together about who gets the first crack at the coronavirus uh, vaccine. We know it's going to be hospital workers, uh, people who are first responders. It's going to be people working in nursing homes, people who are pre patients in nursing homes are going to be the first. But I saw something uh, that indicated that on that list of people who, I'm not, not immediately, but as you go down the line, um, of course, military veterans, but people working at the VA are at least looking to be put on that list somewhere. And as best I can tell, and if you've heard something different, tell me, IRS, being an IRS employee does not give you any special place on the list in itself. Is that what you understand? That is absolutely my understanding. We have not heard anything, uh, especially because right now we're not doing field visits. We're not, um, you know, going out to audit sites. So right now there is no special dispensation for IRS employees to be bumped up specifically on the list for the vaccine for being IRS employees. Will that change in the future? God only knows. But as of right now, uh, there isn't any um, specific guidance that bumps up uh, us on the list at all. And there's, as far as you know, no requirement uh, in the works to get the vaccine either. That's been asked of you. We covered that yeah, that's, in the that's, last that's uh, been one. a couple of times. And mm -hmm. um, as of this moment, there is no requirement that you have to get the vaccine or you won't be able to be paid to work or anything of that nature. No, there's not been anything uh, remotely like that that we've heard. And uh, the um, I say about to say Vice President President Elect Joe Biden has come out publicly and say has said that masks are going to be required in federal buildings. Uh, are they letting people in the Minton Capehart building, those armed guards that, that check you out as you walk in the building, are they going to let you in without a mask? No, that's already the policy. Okay, so and, that's really uh, not a change in most places, I would guess. No, that is not a change. It might be a change in extending it for a hundred days. But that's been the policy in the Mitten Capehart Federal Building. Um, you know, the the employees that come in here have to wear masks. The guards have to wear masks. The great folks on the cleaning crew have to wear masks. So that's that's already um, that's already out there. You know, this is uh, getting to be the time of year. If people have an option to retire already, uh, a popular time to retire is in early January. And I'm starting to see some some information come across uh, that the OPM is is backlogged again. It's gone back and forth. Sometimes they're badly backlogged. Sometimes they catch up. I'm sure coronavirus has had a, an, an some influence or impact on this. So should people be aware of that backlog? They're thinking of retiring because uh, 
you know, when you get that full uh, vergar- that that full annuity doesn't come until everything's processed. I know it took me several months, and uh, do you just need to prepare financially for that? Very well said. Um, I think what you're seeing is folks that might have retired in the spring or summer, um, or perhaps earlier fall, had been putting it off and saying, okay, well, maybe we'll wait a little bit until everybody gets back to work. And the folks at OPM and also the best folks here at the IRS are back to work and do have access to their stuff. But there is quite the backlog because of these folks now, it was either waiting in process and nothing was being done about it, or now everybody's rushing to do it. Like you said, the end of the year is a very popular time to do so. So yeah, there is a backlog and just be, you know, if you're ready to go, Godspeed to you. I've never told anybody not to retire from here. I have said that, you know, there could be delays in your paperwork and there could be some uh, lag before you even start getting interim payments, much less your full correct payments like you allude to that are going to be several months down the road. So if, if you are planning on retiring, just expect a longer wait for the funds um, to come to you than they usually would. Because of the uh, because of just the sheer numbers that are coming in right now. Well, Duncan, uh, we're almost at the end of the year, and we still don't know how the Social Security taxes that have not been withheld in the last quarter are going to be paid back. I'm hoping we find out next year, but uh, who knows? Uh, we will probably not find out about that until they start doing whatever they're going to do, whether they start taking it out, uh, you know, double for for last year or however they're going to do it or start sending out bills for it to be paid all at once um i'm really hoping that folks heeded the advice from our podcast that we kept hammering on that they set it aside put it in a savings account or did something with it to make sure that it's available when it needs to be paid back because starting the first of the year you know that that money's going to need to be paid back not only are you going to have your Social Security tax being taken out again, but it's very possibly it could be doubled. So your paycheck is going to be going down from what it is at this moment. And we just want to make sure that folks are not getting sticker shock from that. And I am not holding out any hope at all that Congress is going to pass something to make that a holiday rather than a deferment so it's forgiven. I, I just don't see that happening. Well, our 30 minutes are up. Uh, any any final thoughts, parting shots, anything you'd like to say as we wrap this up? Nope, we're going to look at one more. Well, I do have one thing. Uh, yeah, we're looking to do one more podcast early uh, next week. So uh, before user lose starts hitting uh, everybody, myself in particular. And I just want everybody be safe. Follow the guidelines. Wear a mask. Socially distance. Wash your hands. I can't emphasize that enough. Don't take any chances because this COVID is just very, very, very wicked. And, you know, we don't want to lose any of you or have any of you uh, be stricken by it. And I will uh, quote uh, Indiana Governor Eric Holcomb. The state is on fire. Those are his words. Uh, So we all have to be careful, do our part and, uh, and do everything you can to keep your, yourself safe and the people around you. So we will leave our podcast on that note. Thank you, Duncan. We'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to the Chapter 49 podcast. You heard our chapter president for Chapter 49, 
Duncan Giles. We represent most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. I'm Larry Lannon. I volunteered to do communications with Chapter 49. So we wish you all uh, the best. And as always, uh, my parting words will be to be kind and be safe.